It's best if you don't reach out. The unexceptional late 30s male against COVID-19, genital herpes, and $18 an hour employment. For more adventures, visit my website, bestifyoudon't.com. 2019. I lose my job and my home. Part 6. I rage quit my job and have nowhere to work. For four years, I supervised a semi-independent group home for older teen boys about to leave foster care. They were no longer cute enough to get adopted, and we needed to imbue them with life skills, a high school diploma, a job, and a chance. The statistic remains 50% of all foster youth will end up homeless. Only 2% will graduate from college. I never wanted to work in a group home again after my first experience. Not that it was bad, just that it was depressing and time-consuming. No holidays, for example, because you can't pause somebody's life to celebrate a federal day off. But then I was more or less recruited to run a semi-independent group home. The difference was that the five boys living in my group home would have had to succeed at the lower tiers of homes, like the feeder property that housed up to 20 boys. Most of the time, I could even interview the boys first so they knew they were committing to going to school, using public transportation, working a part-time job, shopping for themselves on a weekly stipend, doing chores, and contributing to the greater good. I told them if they were going to do illegal shit, just do it off-site and not involve me or the house. I had a ton of time to myself when all five residents were working and going to school. For most of those years, life was good for all of us. All of us, meaning the five boys, myself, and my two staff. I typically worked 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday with an overnight staff who worked 6 p.m. to 10 a.m. Monday through Thursday. He slept there. And a weekend staff who worked from Friday at 6 p.m. until Monday at 10 a.m. He also slept there. My two staff could actually end a shift whenever they got the last boy out the door for school, though. They would text me that the house was empty, and I wouldn't have to come in until around the time school ended. My weekend staff was an interesting hire. The other houses in our programs had the two non-management staff sharing the weeknights and then each taking one weekend day. But my house had this unique schedule of a full-time weekend staff because he was an older man who liked being off all week. He wasn't seasoned in the foster care business, and it was better he didn't talk to anybody's guardian from the Department of Child Safety during the week. He was every boy's favorite staff because he said yes to everything and gave tons of rides so they wouldn't have to use the bus. Part of my speech to new residents was, if you like having somebody chill all weekend, then don't take advantage of him. And nobody who lived with us long-term ever did. A couple short-termers took the group home car for joy rides on Weekend Guys Watch. Of all the boys who lived at our group home over the years, there's a small group that stays in touch with me. One young man was exceptionally gifted, like prodigy-level gifted. 
When you're in charge of a youth edification program and suddenly you have somebody with genius level talent and intellect, you feel a certain pressure to develop them. I made sure our group home had resident computers, a piano, and other amenities this young man needed to grow his abilities. I even took, ta- I even took him to dance lessons one night a week during my off time. He also left the group home with over $50,000 in pledge scholarship money. This is in addition to his foster care tuition waiver and moved directly into the dorms at the University of Arizona. All that money came from him carefully applying to everything for which he was entitled, such as essay contests big and small, and anything to do with being a minority or LGBTQ member. You will see him in the performing arts someday. He was also a diva and annoyed the hell out of me, but we respected each other and made it work. Weekend Guy provided him driving lessons in the group home car, which was definitely illegal, and they both lied to me that the smashed taillight just happened while they were at the grocery store. So for the right youth, moving into our group home was an incredible opportunity. We three adults were supportive and flexible with rules, and the five boys were appreciative and either followed rules or kept their illegal shit off-site. Some of the other boys, now grown, have moved all over the country and are doing well. The collapse of our way of life came when the system stopped producing qualifying youth. Towards the end of my reign, there were no more boys at the feeder property that I wanted to move in after interviewing them. They were mostly maladaptive, manipulative, and violent. Still, we as an agency couldn't survive with empty beds, so boys started being moved in based on openings and not merit. Whereas before, I could carefully select candidates from the feeder property, now they were flung at me straight from jail. I'm not even talking about juvenile detention. One boy beat up his mom with a video game console power cable, went to jail for domestic violence, then moved into my group home. I remember protesting to my boss, I thought we were a semi-independent placement for youth wanting an opportunity to join society, not a flop house for men who beat women. And about this video game console he brought with him, as soon as he connected it to our wireless internet, the thing alerted its real owner and we were raided by cops. Not shortly after this guy showed up, we had his best friend move in with us too. Then the police came and took molds of the bottom of their shoes because some houses got robbed in the neighborhood and victims were reporting stolen firearms. Fuck that, I quit. Shortly after I quit my semi-independent group home, the whole concept was dissolved. The agency picked up the government's more lucrative unaccompanied minor contracts and how some of those youth Trump separated from their families at the border. The official protocol when an unaccompanied minor turned 18 was to call ICE. The unofficial protocol when an unaccompanied minor turned 18 was to blow out birthday candles and then give them a head start before calling ICE. I was happy to be gone, but unfortunately, I left without a new job prospect. It's best if you don't reach out. The unexceptional late 30s male against COVID-19, genital herpes, 
and $18 an hour employment. For more adventures, visit my website, bestifyoudon't.com.